Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, it's good to see everybody. Uh, As we wind down to 2019, the end of 2019, and we come up to 2020, Christmas time brings about a lot of feelings and emotions. But one of the things that you generally are considering is what happiness is like. And what I mean by that is, I wonder if 2019 was a year that you were happy, where things were working out for you. You know, when we, when we consider uh, happiness, we even think about, we look at 2020, do, what, what kind of things would need to take place so you could have a happier year next year? Most likely, it is you want things to be better. Some of you want better health, or you want a better job. Some of you want more money, praise the Lord, amen, hallelujah in this place. Some of you want more influence. But when you think about what will make you happy, you're most likely thinking of more and better, more influence, a better job. You want more of something. And life is okay, but it could just be a little bit better and I could have a little bit more. That's the nature of wanting a happier life. And Deep down inside of us, we all have a happy plan. A plan that we think, I'll finally be happy if this happens. And we we think to ourselves that ultimately tonight, you are on a happy quest. You may not even be on a truth quest. It may not be that you're trying to understand the Bible more or trying to understand who God is more. You just want a better life and more of something. You want to be happier. And I cannot knock you because when you look at the next year coming up, one thing I can guarantee you is that there will be problems you cannot solve. In addition to that, there will be people who will not change. And you can guarantee that happiness will always be difficult and hard to have sustained happiness. Happiness comes from what's happening around you. Happiness is about external circumstances. And happiness, therefore, is a roller coaster of life. And I wonder if you felt that this year. I mean, there were things that were up. That were, you had some up people in your life. You had some up people. You had some up moments that you experienced, but then you had down moments. And you had down people. And you had people that man, that whole month was going well. And then you went over that spot for Thanksgiving and they said that one thing and they didn't know what it did to you. But now you feel down. And to be honest, when you're trying to constantly thrive for happiness, you are on the roller coaster of life. If life is up, you're up. If life is down, you're down. And I wonder if you're tired of the roller coaster. I wonder if you ever get fatigued from living in that emotional up and downness that life constitutes. And it makes us wrestle with if God intended us to live a life of constantly seeking happiness around us, or could it be God intended something greater and grander? 
You see, what if God never intended us to accept external circumstances to be the defining attribute of our emotional state? What if God never made us for the roller coaster of life? And could it be that there is an emotional state that sustains us through the ups and downs of life? That we can be more emotionally healthy in 2020? That God has intended us not to simply pursue happiness. We'll always have a happy plan. You can't help but have a happy plan. But God has intended us for joy, a life of joy that transcends the up and the down. Kay Warren defines joy this way. She says, it is the settled assurance that God is in control of every detail in my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything will be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in all things. It is that determined choice that you come to the conclusion that God is good anyhow. That life is hard, but God is good. Therefore, joy isn't based on your circumstances, but rather who you're connected to in the midst of your circumstances. And it is very important that we live the life of joy God made for us. And it is also important that we realize that joy, if it is made for us, then if this world has fallen, then it can be stolen from us. And one of the greatest aspects of joy being stolen is the life we live of anxiety and fear, of doubt. And you cannot be full of fear and full of joy. You can't be fearful and joyful at the same time. living with this anticipation that things are constantly not going to work out. And so God then blesses us to understand a picture of joy in the Christmas story. I think one of the, obviously, the romanticized picture of the Christmas story, we see Mary and we see the manger and we've gotten so comfortable with it, we don't realize we're staring at a story of trauma. I mean, if we're just honest with ourselves, we're talking about a 14-year-old girl who has to travel 90 miles in order to do a census to be a part of a Roman system of oppression. And while being a part of this census, she can't find a place to have her baby. She's in her ninth month. And finally, they put her where the pigs and the animals are. That's where she has her baby. No, this is not a happy story. It is a story of joy through trauma. If we repurpose the way that the Christmas story is, maybe we'll find joy when you are in your traumatic moment of 2020. And you'll read it again and not just look for the gifts, you'll look for the joy that she had anyhow. Amen? Amen. So what we see here in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 27, in the sixth month, The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth 
to a virgin betrothed, betrothed rather, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. You just have to understand the depth of what's being said there. That Nazareth, that there's, there is a reason why Luke is pointing out these names, that the angel Gabriel comes down from heaven and goes not only to Galilee, but goes to Nazareth. And in going to Nazareth, he is going to the worst part of town, the most impoverished part of town, and the part of town that produced the people that no one would want to be around. It's said of Nazareth in John 1:46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth is the last place you thought an angel would be. Nazareth is one of those places that is notorious and has a name for itself. It is where poor people are. It is where pain is. And she is a virgin. And you have to understand that a woman in the first century, marriage was the best and the only possibility for stability, protection, and honor in her community. Therefore, her virginity is a lifeline to get out of poverty. It's a way that she can still be seen as someone who is valuable and worthy of marriage. Marriage was more than college. It was more than money. It was the only way she would, if she was in a poor family, which she was. Well, she is the virgin Mary. So she has kept herself, and she finally runs into this guy named Joseph. And it says that Joseph is of the house of David, of the Davidic line. He's part of Jewish, great Jewish blood, and he's in the line of kings. David is one of the best guys she could ever end up with. Here, Mary, a 14-year-old, ends up betrothed, meaning she is essentially engaged to this man. She's in a good situation. Understand that she essentially found the best guy she could possibly be with in the hood. Good credit, amen. <laughs> and he came to her, the angel, and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at that saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. An angel comes to Nazareth. Now, that's one thing. I mean, came to the bad part of town. But look at what happens. Mary is troubled. And she's trying to discern not just the fact that an angel is talking to her, but it's what the angel said that troubles her. He says to her, favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, interestingly enough, the Lord has not spoken for 400 years. So for hundreds of years, people are saying, where's the Lord? Where's the Lord? Have you heard from the Lord? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, Mary's mother's mother's mother said, I haven't heard from the Lord. 
and I haven't heard anybody who's heard from the Lord. All the heroes she grew up around hadn't heard from the Lord, and how dare she be the one that the Lord would speak to? A 14-year-old Palestinian girl in Nazareth, oppressed Jew, how dare she be the one that the Lord would speak to? She is on the bottom. And God did not go to a palace. He went to Nazareth. And he did not go to the most esteemed men. He went to an oppressed woman. And in speaking to her, he said, where's the Lord? The Lord's with you. And she must have thought to herself, isn't that what God told Moses? Isn't that what God told Joshua? Isn't that what God told Gideon? All the great heroes of the faith, God said that he was with them. Now little old me in Nazareth, 14-year-old girl, how dare you think I am of that kind of worth? Isn't it awesome that God can see your worth, the worth that you don't see in yourself? How you define yourself that you're from Nazareth? how you define yourself as being a woman or define yourself, and yet God sees greater value than the community can see in you. That the world may say you're at the bottom, but God sees great value in you. And you are not defined by the world's definition of you. You're defined by how God sees you. God called Gideon. God called Joshua. God called Joseph. God called Moses. And God called little old Mary because Mary was big in God's eyes because of her character. Well, now, look, it says in verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. (laughs) Wow. You're going to have a baby. And you're going to call him Jesus. And what is the first thing the angel says to her? Do not be afraid. If you go on, it says, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And Mary is thinking to herself, virgins don't have babies. How can this be? And he says, the Holy Spirit's going to do it. Immediately. Mary knew what was happening. Immediately, Mary understood the depth of what this angel had told her. You are going to conceive of a child in a way that has never happened before, and only you will know it's from God. And that means your husband-to-be won't believe you. Based upon his experience and his evidence, there's no way he's going to give you the same reputation you have now. In other words, I see you highly favored. They're going to see you lowly. God is, therefore, taking the very plan that she had. As a young child, she knows 
that my only way out of Nazareth, out of poverty, and out of having a poor reputation is having this man on my side. So I, therefore, I have a life that I'm going to be connected to him. And she knows immediately, the minute this angel shows up, God's going to blow up my plans. The angel was detonating her plan. The plan that she had, the plan that she knew, everything that she had known up until this point, God blew it away. Church, you can't help it. You have a happy plan. I have a happy plan. I plan for a certain type of family. I plan to live a certain place. I plan to be around certain types of people. You can't help it. You have a happy plan. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be happy, and there's nothing wrong with making plans. But what do you do when your happy plan collides with God's sovereignty? What happens when you're on that collision course, when God detonates your plan? He says in verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age. Now he's, what the angel is telling her is that her cousin Elizabeth is also in her old age conceiving a son. In other words, he's giving her insight that God is doing the miraculous right now. And he says, and in this month, and, it, and this is the sixth month with her who has called barren. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Notice, therefore, what God tells Mary. Don't be afraid. I'm going to blow up your plans, but trust me because nothing's impossible with me. Don't be scared. I'm going to rearrange everything. But when I rearrange things, they work out for the good. Trust me and trust my plan. In Luke 1.38, and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to what? Your word. Life is not going the way of my plan. I have this plan that I've written out and I've dreamed of. Life is not going the way of my plan. But over here, God has a plan. So you have to choose. Mary says, I accept your plan. And understand, how does she accept the plans of God? It is how she saw herself. She says, I am a servant of the Lord. It is your identity often that God is shaping and reshaping by crushing one idol after another. And he is allowing your dreams to grow and be broken simultaneously. Isn't that crazy? That God will let you have a dream and smash it at the same time? It's like, why you give me the dream? Don't play with me. <laughs> Why? Because God knows you want a happy plan. Yeah. 
But God also knows we are happy plan worshipers. That oftentimes we love God more than the plan. And he says, can you give me the plan? Can I, can I do with you whatever I want? Do you trust me? Can God do with you whatever he wants? Whatever he sees fit. You ever go to a restaurant, have poor service? Isn't that weird? Yeah, I'd like to order the spaghetti. Ah, I wouldn't do that. Well, that, aren't you here to serve me? I want, I want spaghetti, so can you like, can you, peace is better. I want spaghetti. I would get pizza. Can you get me spaghetti? I want pizza. Who are you and why are you here, you would think? Are you here to serve me or serve yourself? Servants. Servants. They, they follow. They meet needs. And it is until you get into your heart that you are a servant of the living God that when Christ died for you, your life changed. And your career went in the back. And his lordship went to the front. And priority became him. And career became second. And marriage became second. And opportunity and influence became second. And he keeps making sure it's second. And it's when you have the servant heart of God, you know it is God first in all things. It is with this attitude and this heart in mind that Mary is able to make this decision to say, I accept the plan of God. And in verse 46 through 48, my soul magnifies the Lord, she would say, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary then looks at this moment and she says she magnifies the Lord. And from that magnification of God, she therefore rejoices. She has joy because of the way she sees God in her circumstance. And because of that, what actually is happening is she, now remember, she's most likely signing up, as far as she can tell, as far as she knows, signing up for a life of poverty, abandonment, and having her reputation be in the gutter, having people say this and that about her. But because she is magnifying God, she sees God as bigger than her reputation. And she sees God as bigger than poverty. And she sees God as bigger than abandonment. Because she is magnifying the Lord and her joy is now flowing from her life because she sees God as bigger. Do you know what just happened here, y'all? It's so funny. 
Mary, after hearing her life was blown up, sang a song. Isn't that deep? She sings a song to the Lord. She makes up a song. And she just starts singing to God. At the very moment, she is in the understanding that her entire life and plans are in a total 180. She starts singing to God. Why? Because God is already bigger. It's my job to make sure I see him as bigger. So what does she do in the midst of her pain? She starts singing to God. I want to encourage you. And I told this to the last service. We have a great worship team. I am so proud of them and the way that they seek God and seek his face and they search for songs. They want to be intimate with God. But I believe they spoil us. Because far too often we wait for the song to warm our hearts up and it's got to be the right song sung the right way with the right energy for me to feel right. In other words, the song's got to be good enough for, it to be, you know, for me to give my energy to it. Some of you, you come in and it's just like, man, I hope the word, I hope he got some jokes and I hope, give me some Greek, give me some, like the word, the word's got to be served up on a palate for you to be like, I don't know. And and what I'm telling you is if you're constantly waiting for your emotions to dictate how you feel about God, then you are going to constantly live in the up and down state. But sometimes you got to tell yourself how to feel. You've got to tell yourself to worship in the midst of pain. And that's when you magnify God because you see God is bigger. It is not by just seeing God is bigger. You've got to say God is bigger than your current circumstance. And what I'm trying to tell you is we are constantly in this top 40 world where we've got to be warmed up for Jesus. And we've got to make sure we microwave the right stuff. And what I'm trying to tell you is you have got to feel cold and warm yourself up for God. And tell yourself God is good in the midst of your pain. In other words, worship him in in private and it will overflow in public and it will flow over in such a way that in the midst of your broken heart, you'll still sing. Do you know we don't know how she sounded? Because maybe God was not interested in the sound. He was interested in her heart. And maybe we're too interested in sound. Not lifting up our hearts. This on a Sunday, should be a public display of what you do privately with God. Can you sing when your heart's been broken? Your plan's been crushed. You're at the pinnacle of your pain, but you magnify the Lord anyhow. Amen? Well, man, well, that's just part of the story because, you know, Mary was betrothed. She had a boo. Amen? And Mary says in verse 18, had Joseph, whom she was betrothed to. It says in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Resolved to divorce her quietly. You ever been betrayed? All right. And 
there are certain levels of betrayal that are worse than others. It really depends on how much you trusted someone. It's the degree at which you trusted someone is the degree at which you experience betrayal. This was the woman Joseph was going to marry. It was the woman that he knew he would be with. And we have to remember that betrothal is not a private thing. It's a public thing. It's actually a public ceremony they do for betrothals. So understand that this was not a quiet. They, they were public. It was on Facebook. Amen? Amen. It was seen. Everybody knew they were together. And at this point, her pregnancy was most likely evident. The people started doing the math. And as the baby starts growing, his shame is growing too. He feels betrayed. While, can you imagine while you're planning your wedding, a pregnancy shows up? You'd feel cheated, disappointed. And this legal contract of betrothal is now broken. And yet, what it says is that Joseph shows her grace by doing this quietly. Joseph decides, even though you've broken my heart and betrayed me in a way that I could not have possibly imagined, I never thought you would do that. I trusted you. But I, based upon the Jewish culture, I could have you stoned. But instead of ruining your reputation, I'll quietly put you away so that you don't have to live in shame, even though you betrayed me. Joseph, therefore, decided to live a life of not being bitter and not being resentful. Some of you tonight are living lives filled with resent, filled with bitterness, filled with past hurts that you constantly think about of betrayals in the past, of people who have hurt you, people who have shamed you, people who have done incredible things that hurt your heart. You know, I have always, one of the things that I deal with when I counsel people is actually trying to figure out from what the things they're thinking about, what's actually true and what is in their imagination. Because what I have found is that a good portion of us are having consistent imaginary conversations with people from the past. And praise God, you win every time, don't you, huh? You're pretty good. You're good. You're good. You, the, that one time you told them, da, 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 bang, and they, and they just, they were like, you're right. They just, you always win. You're 100 and 0 in imaginary conversations. Congratulations. Congratulations. but you're rehearsing old hurts. And the rehearsal, the constant rewinding is killing you. One of the saddest things is when a person rehearses old conversations and that person is like 
eating Rocky Road ice cream. They're living their life and not thinking about you. And you are not only thinking about them, you are replaying old hurts and it is causing wounds again. The, the, as I said, the rehearsal is rehearsal. Huh? It is hurting you again and again and again. And you cannot heal that way. Do you hear me? You cannot heal that way. And if you don't heal from what hurts you, you'll bleed on people who didn't cut you. So because of that, that rehearsal is actually playing out. And there are people you didn't trust that didn't earn your mistrust. You are driving down the road looking at the rearview mirror, looking at the back, when you need to start living in front of you, with the people in front of you. And so here's what Joseph did. Joseph, uh, the Bible says, as he, in verse 20, as he considered these things, as he considered these things, as he considered these things. In other words, right before it, it says, right before this verse, it says that he put her away so that she would not be ashamed. He was dealing with the trauma of feeling, the betrayal of the past, but he was considering. In other words, the word in the Greek means he was deliberating these things in the mind and trying to think about how do I deal with this woman that has broken my heart, but at the same time, I want to bless her and not put her to shame. And while he was considering this, an angel comes and tells him not to fear. But in actuality, Mary was conceiving a baby because of the Holy Spirit. What God did is he blessed a man who would not live in bitterness. Now, God might be using you right now. God could be using you in abundant ways, but it is not to the full extent you could be used. Because when you live a life where you refuse to be bitter and resentful, the Spirit of God flows through you in ways you could not imagine. Why? Because you look like God. You don't hold people in your debt. Our, our story is that God did not keep us in our debt. He died for our debt. When you keep people in debt, you look, at the very, you look like the very opposite of the gospel. But when you let that debt go to the cross and you love, bless, and forgive people, when you talk people up instead of talking people down, you look like Jesus. And he blesses your life. Amen, James. Amen. That's a word. I needed that word. I've been... Ooh, I got people in, in, I got people in imaginary jail. Amen. Amen. Can I say one more thing to this? One more thing that I think is very important. Very, very, very important. You ever think about this? The angel went to Mary and then later goes to Joseph. Why didn't the angel just go to Mary and Joseph at the same time? Hello? I mean, could, is he God or is he not? I mean, he's God, isn't he? he? What I'm saying is he could have just went to the both of them at the same time and told them the same story so that there wouldn't be any feelings of betrayal, any kind of trauma. 
why did God let that happen? Maybe the trauma was actually a test to see how he would treat the person that hurt them the worst. Because it is God who says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In other words, God gave, him, gave us his best when we treated him the worst. Can you bless those who have hurt you? He was testing Joseph. I say one, one, more, one more thing to this. Mary went to him and said, God is the one that impregnated me, and God is the one that gave me the baby. And Joseph said, you lying. <laughs> she said, no, nah, I'm for real. He said, you lying. She said, an angel, he said, angel, 400 years, you, no. And Joseph had reached a conclusion based upon his experiences and based upon his insight, and he was wrong. And I just want to encourage you. I know you got the situation figured out, and I know that that person always does that, and you put it together, and you're the expector Clouseau of the Holy Spirit. I know you know, and you know, and you've seen it, and you know, but you might be wrong. And you might not be omniscient. You might not know all things. Like there's a good chance that you might have pieced together a lie. And, and the devil gave you just enough information to make it a good lie. You know how to tell a good lie? I know y'all saved. But um, <laughs> I, I, lied once, I lied once or twice in my life, so I tell you. What you do is you fill it with a whole lot of truth, but you just pepper it just a little bit with a lie to make it look real. And there are things that you have, you have almost become convinced of, and you, won't, you might not even know till heaven, but there are things you've become convinced of that are actually w well put together, woven lies. You might be wrong. Amen. <laughs> but all this talk of joy, all this talk of Blessing people when you're hurting. All this talk of talking people up, even when they've betrayed you. All this talk of blessing God in the midst of your plan. Singing to God when you've been hurt and broken. Shouting to the Lord when you felt forgotten. Looking at other people's lives and seeing them blessed and still seeking God's face just as hard the next day. If you're honest, if you're honest, spiritually you'll say, I can't do that. You see, if you walk away from this message and go, you know what, I got to think about that one person, so I'm going to just, you know, I'm going I'm to you know, think through this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to muscle up enough spiritual strength to start blessing, loving people. And you will try to start working your way into joy. You can't work your way into joy. You got to be rescued into it. God's got to give you joy. That's why you worship him. That's why you seek him. Joy is a gift from God, not a work of our efforts. It is something God blesses us with and he bestows on us. 
You must receive joy. Just as we receive his peace. Just as we've received his grace. Joy is to be received while we're in the midst of trusting him. So no, I don't want to start blessing people, but God, I know you can help me bless them. Oh, please, please. I heard that. Yeah, yeah, I might be wrong. I might be right. How about that? How about that? I might be right. So after you go through your deliberations with God, you begin to sing to God and you begin to tell God, change the way I feel, God. Take my plans. Take the bitterness. Take the resentment because I can't change myself. And let me say for some of you in here tonight, that's why you don't understand the gospel. Because you keep thinking God is more pleased with you when you're working. God is pleased when you are surrendered. He is pleased when you give up and say, I can't do it. And so unto us a child is born. And what's his name? Jesus. And what does his name mean? God saves. God rescues. And he rescues you from bitterness. You can't self-help your way out. You need to be rescued. You can't just talk your way out. You need to be rescued. You can't just start thinking and having the power of positive thinking about people. You need to be rescued. And you say, God, change me then. And stop trying to change yourself. And start shouting the name of Jesus. He told Mary, you shall call his name Jesus. Start calling on his name. Start worshiping and spending time with him. And bring those names that are crushing your heart. Bring those plans that have brought you to the place of pain and lay them out before the Lord and shout to the Lord and sing to the Lord and worship your God. And he will rescue you as he rescued you from a fiery hell. God is in the rescuing business. Jesus not only saves us from the eternal state, he saves us from our temporal pain, the one we so easily find ourselves walking into. Holy Spirit, we ask you tonight that you would keep us from the place of trying to figure out our lives and muscle up our lives, that you would rescue us, God, that we would worship you, that we would seek you, that we would rest in you, God. We pray, Holy Spirit, that tonight we would walk in the power of your presence. God, would you, just for a little while, just for a little while tonight, just drown out all those distractions. God, would you bring to my memory the thing that I've been depending far too much on to bring me joy? Would you replace it with your joy. God, would you bring to my memory, would you bring to my heart the people that are crushing my joy? God, would you, would you show me tonight what has been stealing my joy? Tonight, I, want, I don't want to be an up person or a down person. I want to be with you. I want to sing to you. I want to know you more. God, 
In 2020, I want to live the life of a worshiper. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would refresh our hearts again. Help us to sing again to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I wonder if you'd stand with me. On the night that Jesus was betrayed. On the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took bread and he broke it. He said, this, this is my body broken for you. He also took a cup and he fills it with wine. He says, this is my blood. This is the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink. And in doing so, the Bible says that every time we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death. And we are receiving all the promises of God as yes and amen. Tonight, I pray that you would just drown yourself in worship. I wonder if there are people in here tonight that would be like David and just be undignified in their worship and not care and worship anyhow. That they would put themselves in a position to say, I want to start experiencing joy. And so I want to call down heaven in my situation and start seeking God in a new and fresh way. I wonder if we'd have the communion come. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.